and welcome to Still Learning. We're teachers and moms who are navigating this journey just like you. So let's get started because no one's perfect and we're all still learning. Hi, Maria. Hi, Katie. On today's episode, we have our interview with a social emotional expert. We hope you enjoy our conversation with her. Today, we have Hannah Folk with us from the Whole Child Coach. She's a private coach who supports children, young adults, parents, and educators to lead with emotional intelligence. Hi, Hannah. Well, before we get into any of our interview questions, we wanted to give you an opportunity to introduce yourselves to our listeners. So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Thank you. Thank you so much. And thank you for having me. Um, so my name is Hannah. I'm an emotional intelligence coach for children and parents and educators. I've been doing this in different forms for close to 20 years. I started teaching social emotional learning to children in the public school system um, and was part of a, of a nonprofit that created communities of care. So I taught an entire school and the educators, the principals and the parents um, you know, for, for several years and then moved into private coaching. Um, not just because of, of, a, of a need within the organization to, to shift into a different direction, but also because I saw that there wasn't enough programming for regular children. There was lots of programming for underserved communities, but I didn't see really any of this happening, you know, just for regular families. So I went into private coaching. So right now I work with children, parents, um, and I do also trainings at schools for educators. That's wonderful. And we're so glad to have someone like you that we can ask questions about social emotional development. A lot of our listeners are parents. Of course, we invite anyone who has early childhood age children in their lives. Um, but we know that starting off, a lot of our listeners are parents from our school. So you are whole child EQ coach on Instagram where we first learned about you. And you had a post back in September where you were talking directly to parents about holding space for children's emotions. So can you just elaborate on that for our listeners? So a lot of the time as parents, especially because they're our children, we fear for them to feel these bad feelings. We don't want them to cry. We don't, you know, we don't want them to feel sad because we think of it as a bad feeling, mm -hmm. but we want to remember, especially as parents and, and, and as educators, we want to know um, that there is no such thing as bad feeling. There is a signal. So there's a strong feeling. There's an unpleasant feeling, but that feeling is letting us know that something is going on. So when we try to take that feeling away from a child by saying something like, no, it's okay. Nothing happened or no, don't cry. Um, or any of the other things that we might say like, oh, it's all right, it's all right. Um, we take that process of a child feeling that feeling from them and that's where we're not holding space for them. So what it does is it tells that child this feeling is not safe to feel and it, it creates a lot of the, the habits that maybe we as adults have learned or are, have overcome like, you know, Facebook or Instagram instead of feeling upset or, or <laughs> drinking or whatever it is that we do as adults. So mm -hmm. we want to hold space for a child's feelings. We want to be able to validate that feeling and say, 
something like, oh, I see that you're really angry that your sister took your toy or, oh, you're upset that you um, can't do that for yourself. You're, you're frustrated. And by allowing them that feeling, they're actually learning that it's safe to feel that feeling and that there's something on the other side of it. And by you, by you verbalizing it to them, they're let, it's helping them to see that it's, it is, that feeling belongs to them and that you're there for them, also showing them that it's safe for them to feel it. So it's really about being able to separate yourself from the situation and not making it about ourselves and holding that, holding them within that space, giving them the permission to, to feel that feeling so that they can learn to regulate it over time. That was so well said. And it's what we talk about so much, but we don't have the, I guess the, the words to kind of paint the picture the way that you did. And I love the reframing of the, the feeling, or especially the quote unquote, bad feeling as a signal. I think if we reframe that in our minds as parents, it makes it easier for us to shift away from that. Oh no, you know, I don't want my child feeling this way, which we can all appreciate, but you're right. There's no such thing as a bad feeling. Yeah. It's just unpleasant or really unpleasant, you know, but <laughs> it's, not, it's not bad. It's not bad. I agree. I was doing a lot of nodding while you were talking like, yes, yes, <laughs> yes, that one too. Um, one thing Hannah, I struggle with is if there's a situation that I am the only parent, so not calling out my husband or anything, but <laughs> let's just say or any example, that I'm the only parent or the caregiver. It might be another teacher, or, you know, um, or it might be my mom, for example, who had, you know, grew up in a different generation and did the best with what she knew then and the resources she had. But if that other person is not maybe familiar with using this, you know, whole child approach, how do you go about bringing awareness to them? And what strategies can you use to help guide them, but also help you in this very frustrating learning experience for all? So for you, it's important to plan. Like, okay. so there's, there's one, one is notice. One is notice your feelings around the situation and pause. Because when we're very passionate about this, mm -hmm. we can really bulldoze somebody. And I've done that. I might have done it 20 minutes ago. Um, so it, we have to be aware of what our feelings are around the situation and be able to pause so that we know we can't just in the moment say the thing that we want to say, because that can come off as insensitive to the person and where they're at. You know, everybody's doing the best with, with what they've got. We're a very lucky generation to have the research available to us that we do. No one really, I mean, 20, 30, 40 years, 50 years, you know, it just wasn't around. So we want to keep that in mind that everybody is doing the best that they can with what they've got. And the reason why we want to notice and, and pause is so that we can take that information with us later so that we can come up with a way to speak to these people in a way, in a time where it's not that moment. It's not that like in the moment, it could be later during a regular conversation, it could be a time where you say, hey, I, you know, I noticed this happened the other day, the other night or this morning. Um, 
can I share with you a little bit about how I would have handled that based on what I've learned? So one thing is to try not to handle these situations in the moment and to try to talk about them later in, in, a, in, a, in a calm way, because we can be very passionate about it, especially if we think like it's damaging. Um, another thing is to share research because there are negative beliefs around this type of uh, parenting and education style. So many people think it's enabling. Many people think it's new age. Uh, other people think it's just weak. I mean, I've heard, you know, so much negative feedback about this style of, of parenting and educating. So we know that's not true, but we do need to know who we're speaking to. So having research, knowing some research is something that can help us in these, in these difficult conversations. And then most importantly, is doing it for them. The same, you know, in the same way, if somebody's upset in front of us, holding that space for them, validating their emotion, the same way that you would gently parent your child, you want to try to have that conversation with the adult so that they feel what it's like to have that because most of us didn't have that. So we don't know how to share it with others. So those, those are the things that I would, that I, I, I would bring with me is one, not in the moment, right? Kind of plan when you're going to have those conversations. Two is have that research. And then three, be, be that kind of person for that person as well so that they can experience it for themselves. Thank you so much. I and think what you just said. You don't. <laughs> Sorry, yes. forgive yourself for when you don't because it, you know, it will happen. When you talked about damaging, that's when I was like, okay, yeah, that's definitely when I go into like mama bear mode. Right, exactly. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> Thank yeah. you so much for that answer. So on your Instagram, you have so many fabulous reels and you talk about parenting being an inside job first. Can you explain what you mean by that? Yes. So children feel our energy. They feel our feelings, not just because they were, especially as moms, right? They were inside of us. So they have this relationship with us that nobody else has. Um, but also because of mirror neurons, you know, we have mirror neurons in our brain where they can see our facial expressions and they pick up on these, on these feelings that we're feeling through our facial expression, our tone, our body language. So when we can't regulate ourselves, we won't be able to help a child regulate because we don't know how to do this for ourselves. And we're also going to be dysregulating our child while we're being dysregulated. So the first step is to learn how to do this for ourselves, learn how to be aware of what's happening inside of my body, what's happening inside of my mind, that what do I do to soothe myself, calm myself, regulate myself in the moment. And then after I'm able to actually do that, then I'm able to really help my child do it. Otherwise there's no, it just, it's very difficult to. Yes. That reminds me of, um, a post that I saw somewhere on Instagram. Everybody borrows all of this language from everybody else. Right. But the, the saying that a dysregulated adult cannot regulate a dysregulated child. Mm -hmm. That's mm -hmm. what you're talking about when you say it's an inside job first. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yes. So we did a podcast on conscious discipline. I'm not sure if you are familiar with that um, theory, but yes. that's what that is all about. Mm -hmm. yeah. You first calm down so that you can help. 
Yes. Yeah. yeah. It, it's, it's, it's just impossible. It's, 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 it's really impossible in that moment. You know, that's why, you know, I recommend, you know, even taking a break in that moment. It's okay. Like, nothing we don't have to do things in the moment we really like hard though yes (laughs) yes but we don't have to do those things in the moment it's okay even you know if if to say it's or it is okay to do it in the moment if you're gonna model it like right you know this you know you just oh like your kid smacks you oh mommy's gonna take a deep breath right now because I really feel like doing that back you know, or what, be real about it, because this is what, this is, these are those teachable moments where, where they're going to see you behaving in this way that is actually saying to them, oh, you know, mommy's doing this, like, this is what we do, because children want to be like us, mm-hmm. also, so being able to model this, or stop and say, uh, I'm going to go use the bathroom for a second, or whatever, you know, however you can get away for a second, most of us can't get away to go to the bathroom by ourselves, um, <laughs> so, or just turn around. I don't know. You know, whatever you can do in that moment, just to sort of give yourself that moment, so you don't yell or scream or shame or whatever. You know, we we sometimes do when we're in that moment. Yes, those are such helpful strategies. My next question actually does talk about yelling and shaming and punishing, and I wanted to ask you about. Oftentimes, these are referred to as traditional discipline, where you know the caregiver or the parent is using yelling and shaming and punishing. Um, Would you mind explaining why it does not work and what skills the alternatives teach? So the reason yelling and shaming um, and these kinds of uh, discipline approaches don't work is because they're not teaching the child what they need to be doing. They're actually teaching them what not to do right? Like you never want your child to yell at you, but if you yell at your child, they're probably going to yell at you or they're going to want to yell at you and feel too afraid to. So there's going to be a disconnect there between the two of you. They're definitely going to yell at other people though, because they'll, they'll be okay with that. Um, shaming the same thing, you know, they're not going to shame you or they might when they're older, they'll do it in their head. Now, shaming is, goes a step further because whatever you tell your child about themselves, they believe. So if you call them a lazy, good for nothing, you know, can never do anything right, they're going to believe that about themselves. In, in, and that's going to that's gonna lower their self-esteem and it's going to make it harder for them to be successful at whatever is that thing that you're shaming them about in the future. So it's going to continue that cycle. When we stop and, and, and really what we want to do instead of just punish is ask ourselves, what is the message behind the behavior? Like what, why is this happening? You know, what, what's going on is it can be a physical reason, like tired, hungry, um, uh, not feeling well. Um, it can be something that happens socially at school or with a sibling, um, or maybe something with you, maybe there hasn't been enough connection with you. So when we start becoming curious, which is really what we want to do, because there isn't a specific strategy that we want to go towards, but really the strategy is to be curious about the behavior, because when we start becoming curious about the behavior, then our, our response is going to be more empathetic. And that's really where we want to go towards that. Once we become more empathetic, even if we do apply a consequence, 
it's going to come off in a different way. And so now we're teaching the child a skill. Sometimes that skill is gonna be emotional regulation. Sometimes that skill is going to be, um, you need to take care of yourself because you're, you know, you're, you're obviously really tired and that's why this is happening. Um, or you need to eat because you're hangry. Um, <laughs> so throughout the, the situation, you're going to be teaching something. It really depends on what the behavior is. So it's really about teaching a skill or, or fulfilling a need um, and, and teaching a child about of those needs that they may need to take care of themselves for instead of just stopping the behavior and making it look like whatever is comfortable for you to deal with in that situation. Thank you, Hannah. Yeah, that makes me definitely think of like this thing, you know, finding out the root cause instead of putting a bandaid on what's on the surface. Right, right? exactly, exactly is you're just gonna keep putting those band-aids on and become frustrated. And what's difficult about this is that then the adult feels like they're not competent at parenting and like they're doing something wrong or, or you know, and, and it's just not the case. It's just, it's, it's just a shift in perspective from this is bad, I need to change it to, oh, well, what's happening here? What's the reason behind it? Because if we can hold the belief that all children want to be good, then we'll we'll see that when that's not happening, and I don't like to use the word good, because, but when we can see that all children want to be seen as good in our eyes, and we, we can hold on to that, it'll help us to 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 see that when they're not behaving good or unquote quote unquote, there's something else happening. There's a reason why that's not happening, and so we want to get curious about that, and that'll help. That helps us too to be more empathetic. Thank you. Thank you so much for that. Yeah. So a lot of it is shifting the way that we're thinking about things. Yes. So we've read some research that talks about five learning areas for social and emotional development or the four key competencies of social and emotional development. Mm -hmm. What would you say are the basics for grownups and young children's lives to just understand about social and emotional development? So the four competencies are, uh, self-awareness, self-management, social awareness, and relationship skills. And what we want to keep in mind with these is that they are milestones, but they're not set. So children, children develop them at certain ages, but they're also, there's something that they're, 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 they're competencies that you can always teach, but you always have to be sensitive that a child may not be there yet. And because the, 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 the brain is not fully developed until between the ages of 21 to 25. So, and, and that final part of the brain that comes online is a part of, is the one that really helps you to emotionally regulate and be able to understand everything that's happening inside of your body. We want to be gentle with understanding that, yes, these are competencies that we want our children to be able to achieve, but we don't want to like hold on to them and and doubt them, doubt us, punish them for not being there yet. You know, self awareness at pre you know during preschool years, children can start to become aware of their feelings. They can start to label them, but it really isn't until you know elementary age where they can start to apply some strategies to manage those to manage those feelings. And even then, it's learned behavior. It's not something that they're doing on their own. 
it's it's learned it's something that you have to teach them you know like uh you know there's these infinity uh sheets that they can that they can uh trace with their finger to take deep breaths if you practice this with them a bunch of times yes they'll learn how to do this but it's not inherent in them it's something that they've learned to do so all these competencies relationship skills they can they can you can make them share they can you know when they're when they're little and they can learn how to do it but empathy it's not really being developed until a bit older and of age and it's not really until adulthood that they can fully put themselves in another person's shoes and see how they feel so these these four competencies they're like available not available it's 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 a tricky it's a tricky topic um for 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 us grown-ups to understand um so we want to always be teaching them and give space for them but we also don't want to hold such a strong line on them we want to be merciful with 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 children as they learn how to um be aware of their feelings how to create um and build relationships and keep relationships with others um how to manage their own feelings these are all things that you know it, it takes time for them and so we want to be careful about how how responsible we hold them for these competencies so yeah. this makes me think of two things because during our um conscious discipline episode that i mentioned before we were talking about the um brain development and at what age is the prefrontal lobe fully developed and we couldn't decide so when you said between 21 and 25 that gave us kind of a a time frame but the other time frame that i want to think about is i don't know i feel like we need to take a pause here and let all of the parents listening i hope you're not driving <laughs> when you heard that but i think we all need a deep breath and um a little moment of silence for it's going to take until elementary age and even then it's learned behavior <laughs> i can just hear the listeners going wait what <laughs> that long it, it seems like a really long time but we're thinking about brain development here right so it we're it, also thinking about you know people that kind of just came into the world you know like there's you know, the perspective when it comes and i i tell you know i i have a i have a, a 16 month old and so uh it it's a little off topic but people talk about sleeping by themselves all the time at this age <laughs> and i and i always like to say these children just got here to this planet mm -hmm. they don't know anything they barely know you yeah. so is seven years old that much time i mean how what was happening to you seven years ago like it you it, you some we look back and go oh my god it's been five years it's not that much time you know when we think about it that way it's it it seems that way for us because we're tired and we want to forget. <laughs> and, and we're like, can you just get this already? So yes, children can become better at it with a lot of practice, right? Which is why I'm like, okay, you know, like get, like do lots of routines at home around this stuff, have a calm corner, have strategies, really build it in place in your home so it's easier. Mm -hmm. um call book a discovery call with me i'll help you but it's if you don't have this in practice at your home which is like one of the key things that i do in my coaching is like really help parents create a space for feelings in the home so that it's easier so that it, that because 
if you're just having a conversation about it once in a while, which is usually what happens because there's homework and this and that, then yeah, it is, you know, it's, it's, it's just, it's difficult. It's difficult, but seven years old is not, it's not that long here on earth. That's what I like to, that's how I like to think about it. It's not that long. Um, that's true. You know, yeah. It's, it's funny you say that, Hannah, because I actually have a seven-year-old exactly at my house. <laughs> and in comparison to the three-year-old, you know, it seems like he should know better. And we've talked about it maybe, I don't know, three times, you know, so why is he getting it? <laughs> right. You're right. Life happens. Homework happens. Extracurricular things happen. I have a job. We have needs. You know, there's other chores that need to get done. But it's it's a good reminder to pause and I find myself I'm so much better telling others like, but wait a minute, they're only seven, you know, give them time. They're still young. But when it comes to my own child, it's so much harder. Yeah, so much yeah. harder to remember then. Yeah, it's always harder with the ones we're closer. And be, and, and that's also a good thing because we see their potential, right? So it's, you know, it, it's also coming from a good place. Like you see how, how intelligent your child is and how capable they are. So you're like, why can't you get this? So it's, it's not bad, you know, you're coming from a good place. We just need to add a little bit more um, perspective. You know, it's really a lot about perspective. A perspective shifts for us when we're having those when we're having those moments just just to support us. Thank you. Uh, one last thing that I saw in one of your posts that really like stood out to me is the one that talked about when you're yelling and screaming that does not make you a bad educator or a parent. It makes you a stressed out educator or a parent. And then it said your child's outbursts don't make them a bad child. They make them a stressed child talked about you both being in the same boat in need of empathy, self-care and calming strategies. So I was wondering if you can share some of those calming strategies you suggest for both um, adults as well as children. Mm -hmm. So the first is to have a practice, a, a specifically a practice of sensing um, what's happening inside of your body, because that's how we know what's happening. Whenever we're about to feel we do have senses like physical senses that happen it might be our stomach gets tight it might be our jaw it might be our something happens to us um you know our our heart might start racing or we might get like butterflies in our stomach or so whatever that is for you i know that i get like my stomach really gets um like i get nervous feelings in my stomach mm -hmm. when any any feeling it's all my stomach so whatever happens to you that is unique to you you want to become aware of that so having a practice where you're tuning into your body when you're not in those elevated moments can help you to understand what's happening to you in those moments where you are you know slightly going up the thermometer and might have a, 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 a you know you might flip your lid so having a practice there are uh there's a really cute meditation online. It's called the body scan. It's called the butterfly body scan. And if you, it's on, it's on YouTube and you sit through it and you, you, there's like a little butterfly that goes through your body and you, you imagine, you see what's happening inside of your body. You imagine the feelings that you're feeling. You, you, you imagine the sensations in your body. That's great for parents, for children, but it's great for parents too. So doing that sort of a meditation or visualization with, with your child as a family, it's something that you can practice together and it's gonna help you have a little bit of that uh, self-awareness of what's happening. 
So the first thing is to build a practice around it so that you have, you know, something with you in the moments of emergency. And then when you are in those moments, another thing is we want to name it. Um, Dr. Daniel Segal talks about a, a, a concept that he, uh, it's called name it to tame it, right? When we are able to name our feeling, we're able to tame the feeling, okay? In the moment that we are able to say, oh, I'm frustrated about something, we slightly soothe that frustration. So naming our feeling and naming the feeling for our child as well. Oh, I see that you're frustrated. I see that you're upset. I see that you're angry about whatever. Helps them to feel validated in that moment. And it instantly helps to calm down and gives some sense of order to, to what is happening and doing that for ourselves as well. So those are two really basic um, where to start from to support ourselves because it really is about getting to the place of stopping and pausing so that we don't flip our lid. So if we can, if we can know what's happening in our body and then name that feeling, we will be able to come out with a completely different outcome. Thank you. I think that's like one of the things when like my friends, you know, that are parents or, you know, teachers or that often my go-to is like, do some breathing, here are some fancy <laughs> names for, you know, rainbow breathing and drain breathing and balloon, you know, and those are great tools, but I, I like that you just brought my awareness that maybe I'm missing a step or two there where that noticing is so important because yes. just when you were describing that, I was like, yeah, I get like, my heart kind of starts racing, you know, I get like populations where I'm like, oh no, you know, <laughs> that tension, that thermometer, yeah. I can see it getting up. And that's where we need to pause yes. and name yes. and label. So and then really, if you've, if you've never done any sort of emotional regulation for yourself, that's enough to start with. You'll, it'll be different. It'll end up different. You'll, it, it, it'll and yeah, I, have also, I have never heard of the butterfly body skin. So I'm curious to, after we're done, yeah, go we're look it up. <laughs> yeah, it's really cute. It's really cute. And, you know, one of the things that I like to focus on is things that parents and children can do together, because we should be building this awareness and this, you know, wisdom together as a family. Um, if we're doing it separately, we're just teaching it to the children and us adults aren't doing it. It's, it's, it's only going to go so far. And a lot of the time what happens is, you know, if, we, if we're having, you know, children learn it and then we're not doing it, then it, it looks bad on us. And because they know, they, they do know what's up. They know. <laughs> so oh, yeah. look at mommy and they'll go, well, why, why is mommy not? taking a deep breath you know I'm here taking deep breaths <laughs> so so they we want to be able to to support one another you know and 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 grow together as as a family I love that thank you so much for bringing such great perspective and helping us to learn how to shift our perspective from getting frustrated <laughs> kind of what we're doing right now certainly we don't get frustrated every second but it really helps to know some of these strategies that you've shared today and we can come back to this we can listen to this episode again and remind ourselves what to do or what else to do to get better well thank you thank you for letting me share thank you for having me i hope that uh this is, is beneficial for everyone that listens in some way it's certainly been beneficial for us. So thank you so, so much. You're welcome. We hope you found this episode helpful. 
You can find us on Instagram by searching for the Still Learning Podcast. Make sure to subscribe now, leave us a review, and join us next month for a new topic. We're teachers and moms who are navigating this journey just like you. Because no one is perfect. And we're all still learning. Thank you.